Hello and welcome to the podcast Sport and Life. Brilliant conversation coming up with Cornelius Carr, former British champion, world title challenger with Steve Collins. Actually won a version of a world title, a WBF category. Just a great guy, still training boxing as well. We'll get there in a second, but thank you for being here first and foremost. And thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serena V, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Look up Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham online. Go into their beautiful store here in Cheltenham in the west of England in the courtyard in Montpellier or Serene AV on uh, social media. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his fine team. Uh, Remember, if you'd like to optimize your immunity, the podcast has an association with Cytoplan, food-based supplement company. We've been taking their supplements for 20-plus years under the stewardship of my father, and they're offering us 30% off podcast listeners off your first purchase 10% ongoing with the code at checkout draper10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters numerals one zero and the capital letter r that's cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk also reminding you that we're pleased to announce this year that sport and life has partnered with herring shoes an English family-run shoemaking business, which Richard Herring started in 1966, specialising in handmade classic shoes like Oxford's and Brogue's. Got a really cool pair of Brogue's that I love. Great style, great comfort. They've got this wonderful heritage here in England, but they do ship globally and offer the podcast listeners a 10% discount at herringshoes.co.uk. The discount code is uh, my first name or part of it, TED10, T-E-D, all capital letters, numerals one zero and that is applicable to all full price shoes over 20 pounds as we come up uh, to talking about Cornelius's life story in just a second I just wonder if you ever would like to hear from someone that you've lost a loved one family friend whoever it may be hear their voice again hear their stories again because that's something that we're trying to kind of make sure that people have through Attic Box Audio I'm sitting down with people's family members record their life story in quality just from childhood upwards a relaxed chat but hopefully some precious memories are stored there some details of people's lives as well to find out more about that head to atticboxaudio.co.uk but now onto the podcast with former british boxing champion cornelius carr here he is yeah cornelius carr welcome to the podcast sport and life how are you good to see you i'm very good thank you yes thanks for having me on no, you're welcome. You're very, you're very welcome. How's life? Are you, you still involved in boxing? Yeah, I, um, I'm a, I do PT now. I'm a personal trainer, but I, well, boxing related. Brilliant. I have a little gym in Swansea that I train out of, and uh, it's really busy. Yeah, I've got a train. I think my oldest person is 66. I won't wow. tell you the name. I don't think you're too happy to tell you the name. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's fine. Yeah, I train up to like five, six-year-olds as well. Oh, that's pretty cool. But that yeah. 60, 66-year-old, does that prove that, that we can keep moving? If we keep moving, we don't lose well, it? Is that the big thing? Yeah, well, I mean, a year ago, it's a lady, it's not a lady, it's a, it's a man, he wasn't boxing. And he, he just walked past the gym and he thought, I'll have a look in. He came in and he, you know, he stood at the door and he, I said, I wouldn't mind doing a bit of boxing. I've always thought about it. I like watching it. And he started and now he does twice a week, just does half an hour each session. But he loves it. He absolutely Brilliant. loves it. He's got into boxing. He's watching all the boxing fights, oh, and he's good. and he didn't start until he was like, well, sixty six. 
So yeah. it's amazing, really. It's never too late. So you, so you doing PTing? Is it regular PTing or is it all boxing kind of focus with the PTing? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a fully qualified personal trainer, but I, it's more boxing rated what, I, what people come to me for, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And it is, well, it's a good exercise, isn't it? As long as you're not getting hit in the head too many times, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's generally non-contact, what I do. Um, mm. I do have a couple of uh, young, 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 young fighters and who will train with me and um, who are Welsh champions and stuff like that. But um, I generally do more for keep fit and some classes and stuff. So, yeah, it's really busy. I'm, I'm living in the Gower in Wales and uh, it's a really nice, lovely place to live. Brilliant. I love your girlfriend. So, yeah. Oh, good for you. How did you end up in Wales then? Because you're from the northeast, obviously, aren't you? Middlesbrough. Yeah, right? well, I, yeah I was brought up in Middlesbrough. And I, um, I, when I turned professional, I moved to London. And then uh, was in London and I moved to Bournemouth. Yeah. Bit of a gypsy in me, I think. And then from Bournemouth, I met my now girlfriend. And we moved. To, she, she's from this area, from the Gower. And she always wanted to come back. She came to Bournemouth first. And then she dragged me here, literally. <laughs> and now I love it. No, I love Good. it. Yeah. Good. And, and do you still love boxing? You're still using it? You're still training yeah. people? I, I mean, I watched the fight the weekend, uh, Betty Biev against Yard. I thought it was a cracking Ooh. fight. Yeah. It was a really good boxing, good showcase for boxing. And uh, yeah, I watched some fights, not all of them. I don't really go to shows as such, but I um, I do keep an eye on the big fights, you know. What, what do you think about the, the era that you were fighting compared to now in terms of fights getting made because we'll talk about you fighting Steve Collins and that was such a rich area for middleweight era sorry for middleweight and super middleweight and, and the big names were fighting for the Nigel Benn Eubank Steve Collins yeah. so they seem to be happening but maybe a lot of the big fights aren't happening these days do you, do you feel that? Yeah um, well the thing is I think it all comes down to terrestrial TV and we aren't getting the exposure with these fighters so mm. there is some good talent in, in Great Britain and Wales and Scotland and places like that. But we don't we don't get to see them unless you've got Sky or Pay Per View, um, which is a shame. Uh, whereas back in the early nineties or whatever, you had BBC with running fights, ITV with running fights, so you were able to see them. And like like Sir Frank Bruno, Nigel Ben, Chris Eubank, were all on terrestrial TV before Sky came along to take yeah. over. But I think they become household names, and and that's and that's why boxing was, I guess more. Well, I don't think it was more popular. It's very popular at the minute. You know, we've got some yeah. really good fighters, and Tyson Fury with heavyweights and Joshua. Um, so there is some good talent around at the moment as well, but it is getting on. It's, I think TV has a big play in in, in any sport really, especially mm. boxing. Yeah, and promoters as well. There's a lot of lot of people involved in every every negotiation, isn't there? In, in, the, well, in, the, in the boxing that's, business, that's never going to change. I'm afraid. What do you think of it when you look at MMA then? Because people say that's a different model where they have like one governing body who organises fights, and the best might not fight the best in a sense because they've still got different governing bodies. They've got mm. you know, the U UFC, Bellator, different leagues per se. But yes. people like think that it, it, those fixtures, if you want to call them fixtures, are easier to make in in that setup. Well, yeah, Dana White easily had one of the head men, isn't he? Yeah, Fires. UFC, yeah. And, and they do get to fight each other, you know, maybe only up 10, 15 fights, but they're making big money straight in there. Um, it's a tough old game, man, but if, yeah. I don't know. If if it, if, if, I, if MMA would have been around when I was 11 and 12, I probably would have went into that because mm. yeah. I was more inspired to be into that kind of world. But, um, yeah, boxing, boxing for me is a, a better sport, I think. But yep. maybe I'm biased. Well, you like you like the kind of fact that it's it's one skill set rather than basically 
everything's yeah. allowed kind of thing, yeah. I think I, the first MMA thing I ever seen it was in Bournemouth and I went to a show. And I, was, I couldn't believe how brutal it was. It was just unbelievable how two men were just rolling around and you don't you don't really know the, the floor scenario when they're on the floor. Yeah. But these two bite these two boys absolutely battered each other. They wouldn't not no one would give up. Yeah. Was, I was like I come away thinking, wow, that's one tough sport. Yeah. No, it is a tough it is a tough sport. Boxing yeah. is as well. What well, how did you get into boxing? Was you said eleven or twelve then? Was that the yeah, you fell into I was, it? You know, I was a typical kind of a boy, a rough and tumble boy and I was getting into trouble a little bit and fighting on the street. And one day I was fighting this boy and um, well, I didn't know this guy came over, broke us up, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, I know you, don't you? And I said, no, you don't know me. He said, dude, I know your dad. I, was like, oh, no, I didn't want to get a hiding off my dad for fighting. Yeah. So he said to me, I'll tell you what I'll do. I won't tell your dad if you come down to the boxing club tomorrow night. And that's how I got introduced into boxing. Um, and the next day I went to the club um, you know, when I was really nervous about it, uh, but I went in and um, yeah, boxing started. I got got the bug, um, and I loved it. I loved loved the sport, and I've been involved in boxing for uh, fifty three now. So I've been involved. I started when I was eleven, so a lot of years, fifty two years, I guess, forty two years. Forty two years, yeah. That's a good. Yeah. That's a, a good. What did it give you as a kid? Did, you, did it give you direction? Give me di- Yeah, it did give me direction. Yes, because I mean, I you know, I, yeah, I bought a book out. Called what the warrior in Wellington boots, which you can get on Amazon, guys. If you, oh yeah, if you're interested in a read, um, and it's basically um, what what story? What do you ask me again? You've lost me there. No, no. What 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 the sport gave you at that stage? You know, as a kid, because yeah. I think it, a lot a lot of young boys feel a bit lost, a bit a lot of that energy. I don't know. Yeah. What it. it just give me give me discipline, and I loved it. I loved the camaraderie. Um, all the guys in the gym were great. Um, we travelled around all the northeast boxing, and it was just fantastic. It was a great, it was something I really just loved it from the off. And within the next, the first two or three months of going there, I um, loved it, and, and I become good at it. Who, who were you was, watching on TV at that time? Were there people to inspire you, heroes? Well, people like Hagler, Hagler, Muhammad Ali. Well, obviously, Hagler, yeah. Hagler, Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard, hmm. Roberto Duran was one of my favourites. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Tommy Ends. The four, the four kings, as they're called. Yeah, that, that you know, some great fighters, and we had some fantastic middleweights in Great Britain as well, like some Michael Watson, Steve Collins, Nigel Ben, Chris Eubank, and there were the top fighters. And Errol Bomber Graham, don't forget Errol Bomber mm, Graham. Yeah. was a great fighter too. Um, you know, um, so there's been some fantastic middleweights over the years um, in, in in British boxing. When when did you start thinking about making it a career? What what was that process like? Do you know, um, my, my, the guy who broke us up the fight was a guy called Marty Turner. And he said to me when I was about 12 or 13, you'll be British champion. And I'm like, well, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and I, and I felt a bit uncomfortable in saying that. But he would say, you're going to be British champion. You're going to, you're going to be boxing. You're going to be a professional boxer. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess when I was young, when I was, I mean, my dream was to become a schoolboy champion. Yeah. And it didn't happen. For whatever reason, just didn't happen. I went into schoolboys every year, and then when a bit, but what Marty used to say to me: when you get into the, when you turn, uh, when you get 16, 17, you do the, the three minute rounds. You takes your time to settle and yeah. get into a fight, and that was really important, I think, for me to, um, I was able to relax, and I think the first two rounds, and when I was only doing like two minute rounds, it was too quick. It was over before third round. They always used to win. I'd win yeah. the last round. 
So it used to take me a long time to warm up and settle down in a fight. Um, and I think he was right because when I went in the ABAs, I did really well. I was 17, um, you know, and I was going in against men who were 25, 26 years old, who were seasoned, seasoned amateur boxers, yeah. boxers for England. And um, yeah, and I did really well. I got to the ABA finals. Was that middleweight, was it? At that, stage, that was like you... 75 kilogram, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And what, what is it about? Because you said he, Marty Turner could see in you that, that you could be a British champion. Is that something genetic or something that you'd learn? What do you think makes champions? Is it the environment or, or how they are? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think obviously you need that. You need those, there's a lot of qualities you need to be to be a, be a champion. You know, I mean, uh, um, what I talk about in my book is I talk about like um, how how things can happen in life. You know, yeah. you can make wrong moves and wrong decisions. Um, and I could have easily gone down the wrong road and it doesn't make me a bad person. I just could have slipped off. And if Marty wouldn't have had that gym there, I don't know what happened because I lost my dad when I was young. I was a bit of a feral child. I was running wild. Yeah. And um, I needed I needed someone to focus on something, something to strive and be a success. And my dream was to be a champion. That was yeah. my dream from a very young age. As I say, 12, 13, he installed that in me. Marty did. And, and that kind of um, uh, pushed me and made me into a success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting that that, Having not having a father and how boxing kind of helped you in that regard. There's a guy called Adam Harper who's been on the podcast. He fought Anthony Fowler a couple of years ago in the in the garden at Matchroom, but he's an English champion. He's he lives close to me. He's retired now, but running boxing classes like like yourself. But he yeah. didn't he didn't know his dad and, and said he got into trouble as a teenager. But actually, through boxing, found some mentors and role models and just people to kind of give him those I guess <laughs> rail tracks to to work his life down. Is that is that something that you think is is significant? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need um, you need guidance, and if you haven't got guidance, and because Marty became like, because I lost my father when I was eleven, yeah, and he became like a second father to me, um, even though he had his own kids, but he kind of he guided me along and helped me, and I needed that. And if I wouldn't have had that, my mum was disabled, so mm. I could have I could run rings on her, I could do what I wanted, I could stay out all night, I didn't have to go to school, you know, I was kind of free to do what I wanted. So I, Marty kind of just, you know, he, he didn't, he never, he never like told me off, but he said, this is what you want to be doing. You don't want to be doing that. You mm. want to be doing this. And um, yeah, so uh, you do need guidance without doubt. You, you won't, you won't be a success if you don't. Give you some, yeah, give you some advice. When did you move down to London then? When did you start the professional well, path? Well, when, when I uh, turned professional, I, 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 I met Frank Bourne, went met to meet Frank Bourne. And that's when I changed my name to Cornelius. My real name, for people who don't know, is John Carr. Yeah. And um, when I was in his office, Marty, my trainer, amateur trainer, said, uh, why don't you change your name to Cornelius? And it was like, he hadn't said nothing to me, hadn't told me. <laughs> why, and, why Cornelius? Because that was my dad's name. Oh, okay. Yeah. You see, so, that's, um, uh, so that was the reason. And, and I thought, yeah, all right. And then that was, that, that was the reason we could. And everyone now... Everyone in Swansea, you know, everyone calls me Cornelius. Yeah. And the only when I go back to Middlesbrough that I that I'm called John again. So I'm two <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that like? Is that is that is that good? Do you like do you, did it did it help you embrace the new identity in a way to, as a fighter? Yeah. At first, at first, I thought I found it strange when I first moved to London, but because I'm moving out of my town, I moved from Middlesbrough to London, and then obviously everyone's calling me Cornelius. You mm. get used to it. Yeah. And 
but and then yeah, like you know, even now, like I, people talk to me about boxing, it's always Cornelius. Yeah, um, good, good for you. And you made your de- you made your debut, didn't you, in London? Was it your call? Iconic your yeah. call against Paul He's Burton. Off, I think it was the twenty fifth of September against Paul Burton, and uh, yeah, I won, I won and stopped him in the fifth round, and uh, yeah, my career started, and it was, you know, as I say, I've had a great career. I've been all over the world boxing, um, and. Um, this is all put in the book and it's all uh, how it kind of, um, how a boy came from, it's not all about boxing, it's not just a boxing book, yeah. but it's how a boy gets from A to B, C and moves on and um, yeah, and, and boxing's been good to me, I've had a great career with it. How much resilience did it teach you as well? Because I was looking at, um, you had 18 months, you're winning your your first fights, obviously everything's going well, but then you got stopped in, in Reading, didn't you? I guess yes. out of the blue, what what was that like and how difficult was that I mean, to come back from? Hard. I mean, taking a defeat when you're a young man, um, that was totally, um, yeah, it was one of the hardest things happened to me. Mm. I had a few defeats in, in, in my boxing career, but that was one really hard one because I was on a, I was going well, but I went back to Middlesbrough. I went training in Middlesbrough and I was sparring with amateurs. And, you know, you can all make, all boxers make excuses for certain things. But I think but being out of London, being away from the, the click and being up sparring with good fighters, I think that did, I went backwards a bit. So then I had to move back to London to start again. Yeah. So that's, that's how it of. And, um, you know, at the time, um, you had to be, you had to be in London to be, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind is a great saying. It's very true. And when when I was at home, uh, I wasn't you. I wasn't around the fighters. I was just training on my own, mm. and I was in the gym on my own. And whereas when you're with other fighters, you're watching them, and you're learning from them. Like yeah. in, in my gym, just alone in St Pancras was El Christie, great fighter, um, uh, Tony Wilson, you know Georgie Collins. There was loads of good fighters, Damian Denny, and good fighters in, in my gym. So you learn from them as well. And they were a bit older than me, so. I think that was one of the one of the things, yes, for sure. How, how, yeah. diffi- how difficult is that with fighters? Because often they have to go away, don't they? Whether it's permanently to train or whether it's just camps, is that is that difficult to combine that? Or is it sometimes nice to if you go on a camp away from family, etc., yeah. just to focus? I think I would have loved to have a, a boxing camp. I never in all my career I didn't have a boxing camp as such. I didn't go to like Tenerife or or whatever. Yeah. I think I would have loved that to be just away. You know, all you're doing for eight weeks. Is training towards that night, towards that fight, and just focused on that. Mm. I think that would have been fantastic. I would have had the opportunity to do that, but it didn't come my way. The closest thing I got to like don't go into camp was when I was in America. Yeah. I was sparring with Roy Jones, the great Roy Jones, and I was out there just before he kind of made it. It was well, what was that like? How good was he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was. He had super, super fast reflexes. And now he made middleweight. I don't know. I used to cut that off because he was huge for a middleweight. Yeah. I mean, I was the same weight as him, but he looked two weights above me. Yeah. He was huge. But it was great learning. And um, when I went sparring with Roy Jones, it wasn't just there to, I wasn't just a sparring partner. I was there to learn. I was up in the morning running with him. I was doing everything what he was doing. And I was there to learn. And I'd go home and I'd write in my diary, right? I've learned this a bit. He caught me with this shot. I caught him with this shot. And that's how you learn. And um, as I say, as a, I was a sparring partner, Eubanks and Chris mm. Pyatt and a few others. And, and for me, I was never a sparring partner. I was there to learn, to take something away. And I think that's, 
that's the difference between just being a sparring partner and going out drinking and sparring the next day or whatever. Yeah. I was there training, I was doing camp, you know, that, that, and, and that was very important. But yeah, Roy Jones was a very, 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 very fast fighter. How should uh, how, how should boxers approach sparring? Do you feel fighters of, of any combat sport? Because there's a sense, isn't there, that people want wars in the gym sometimes, but actually that can take away from your career, make it very short if you're not careful. Oh, without doubt. I mean, you know, you, I think I think you know there's there's a time to spar hard and there's a time to play. And when you're playing, that's when you're learning. What I mean by playing is, uh, if I was sparring someone not as good as me, like touching, yeah. to them, uh, I would I would let them go at me. And if they caught me, that's my fault. Hmm. That's yeah, the yeah. way I treat it, um, you know. And that's why I'd, I'd be. <clears throat> that's why featherweights are coming. I sparred him, <laughs> but they wouldn't go spar Chris Eubank, you know, or someone like that because he'd go and knock the heads off. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but you, you you wanted the speed of a featherweight, did you? Just to test yourself. I want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sparred with Colin McMillan, a great fighter, fantastic boxer, and he was just unbelievable. I couldn't hit him. Hmm. And it was great for me to learn how we did that move. Now we did that move. And I'd, I'd question him afterwards, how did you do that? And yeah. show me. And that's how you learn. Yeah, you definitely you, know? you, def you definitely do. What about the British title win then in 1994? How how big was that for you and, and for massive. Marty as well? Uh, yeah, it was massive. It was, um, uh, again, at about four weeks' notice. And um, uh, James Cook was British champion. And uh, I got a phone call. I was... Campaign in that middleweight, and that was my, that was my uh, best weight. I think middleweight. I was never beat as a middleweight. It was either light middleweight I was beaten or super middleweight. Yeah, middleweight. I'm undefeated, and that was uh, my my weight category. But um, I can't find. I've, I've, I've lost myself again. Oh, just fighting James. We're just fighting James Cook for the British oh, sorry, title. How, yeah. how it came about and, and yeah, what, well, what that well, night was like. I was with Mickey Duff, and at the time he was my manager, and he phoned me up and he said, "I've got you to fight." Uh, for the British title, and I thought it was going to be middleweight. And he went, no, it's going to be super middleweight against James Cook. And I'm like, hmm. But I had nothing to lose. I thought, right, let's go for it. And, you know, yeah, I won the fight. Um, it was a, um, it was a, nothing really happened in the first six, seven rounds. I knew James was very dangerous. I'd watched a couple of his fights before, and he'd been in with some good fighters, Errol Bomber, Graham, uh, Michael Watson, Schumacher, all the top fighters. Um, and he was very dangerous. He's right up the cut. So I was very cautious of that because yeah. he was trying to draw me in. But I, um, yeah, I was when I got back to the corner in round eight. Howard Rainey was my trainer at the time. Really good Howard. Howard, and he, he says to me, "Do you want to win this fight or what?" And I was looked at him. I said, yeah. I said, he says, "Start bloody throwing punches then. Punch. You got to start me." And I did. And then, and I started grinding him down. And then round eleven, round ten, I knocked him down. And then that my confidence went through the through the roof after that and then um, I won the fight and uh, yeah and, and the funny story was there was uh, Morrissey was there with the Smiths oh yeah yeah and he, uh, he wanted to meet me so I won the title I'm upstairs <laughs> and all my mates are, all my mates are there and one of his sidekicks comes up and says uh, do you want to meet Morrissey and I'm like Morrissey I'll be Smiths and he said yeah he said come down I went no I'll tell him to come up and he was like and he went off and then well, ten minutes later, he just he, he appeared. Wow! I had a quick photograph with him, and that was it. Yeah. And about a week, then two weeks later, I had um, another phone call. Do you want to be in this video? Um, really? In the, in the boxer. Um, <clears throat> and then so I was in his video, and then we uh, yeah so and I was on his backdrop when what, when he 
What when was that song? It wasn't Charming Man, was it? That you were the video? No, it was, it was called Boxers. Oh, okay, yeah. I haven't heard that one. Is that, yeah. yeah. Have a listen to it at the end, you'll see. Put it yeah. on YouTube, on YouTube, guys. The Boxer, it's called The Boxer, Morrissey. Were, but, you a fan, were you a fan of his music? It's kind of interesting that, is that, yeah, yeah the drops that you get recognition when you get those titles and, yeah. Well, yeah, talk about recognition. Excuse me. I was walking down Leicester Square after I'd won the British title. This guy comes up to me and says, hey, hey can I have your autograph? I was like, oh, is this for the British title? He went, no, because you're in Morrissey video. Ah, yeah. You know, and I was yeah. like, I've got a minute. I've been training all my life, you know, blood, sweat and tears with boxing. And then, um, I do a video for two hours and I'm getting more recognition for that. But yeah, no, it was good. It's a good experience. And Morrissey went on Jules Holland and Jules Holland said, no, you're in the boxing. He went, yeah, I'm in the boxing. And he said to him, uh, so who's your favourite boxer? Oh, you've not heard of him yet, but he's going to be champion. He's Cornelius Carr. So, wow. There you <laughs> so go. Brilliant. Yeah, no, he, no, he's he, he's all right, Morrissey. Like uh, yeah. What what was that like? Because were you boxing on TV for the British title? Was it? Yeah, it was on BBC. When yeah. I went out, went out on BBC, it was with uh, Mickey Duffat for that fight. So yeah, it was on BBC that one. Yeah. So in those days, you get millions of people watching, don't you? That's the thing people forget is that before we had the internet and satellite TV, that the audiences were just huge on channels one to one to four, I guess, at that time. Well, yeah, it was, yeah. It was before Sky came on. Sky, when did Sky come? Early 90s? Early 90s, yeah. But then I think even Channel 5 didn't come until 95, 96. So, yeah, there wasn't many, many channels at that time. And it, probably like 10 million people watch BBC One every night, I guess. Exactly. So, you, you get, you know, yeah, you get a lot of exposure with the BBC and stuff, yeah. Brilliant. Good. And what was that? What was the next trip like that you journeyed? Because you kept going, didn't you? And then you get a phone call to fight yeah. a, a challenge for a world title in, in Steve Collins' backyard in Dublin. Yeah, again, you know, um, how what happened was how I got that fight was I was at a, a boxing event and Frank Warren was there. And I couldn't get hold of him. He was supposed to be my manager. I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't talk to him on the phone. And I was screaming to get a fight. He had, he had a um, he was saying, I'm going to get your middleweight tile fight, and it didn't happen. Uh, so I went up to him and I said, Hi, Frank. Oh, well, and he was like, I was shocked when he seen me. And he shook my hand, and he was like, yeah. I said, What about getting me Nigel Ben? And he went, mm, No. What about Steve Collins? And this was on the Friday night now. Yeah. So, and I said, Yeah, all right. But that was it. So on the, on the, on the Monday morning, I'm in, I'm in the house. And I put CFAX on, remember CFAX? Yeah. So the she was, and Collins got next opponent, and I learned them. And now Warren, Warren's had me over again. <laughs> I had me again. Yeah. You know? So um, I still didn't know. So then I looked on, so I clicked on who's he got next opponent car. And really? that's how I found out I had the fight. And it was four, I think it was five weeks, four weeks to the, the that was Monday morning. And the next Saturday, there's four weeks to the fight. Where, where was your weight? Where was your fitness at that point? Were you on point? I, I, I always stayed in the gym. I always trained. You know, I mean, obviously, it wasn't a, a full camp. It wasn't an eight, ten-week camp. It was like probably, well, four. It was four and a half weeks solid training. Yeah. But a world title fight against, at the time, probably the second best super middleweight, we had Roy Jones. So, yeah. it was, um, you know, at the time, he was beating everyone. He just beat Eubank twice. And, um, you know... Uh, after me, then he beat uh, he beat Neville Brown. Then he beat I think Nigel Ben after that. Yeah, yeah. He stopped, he stopped Nigel Ben one time, didn't he? As well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, he was very strong, very awkward fighter to fight. 
um, you know, he, uh, you know, when when the fight happened and we, the fight was made, um, I remember thinking the first four rounds he kind of dominated a little bit. He's kind of pushing me and bullying me out the ring. Yeah, trying to bulldoze me out the fight. Then I came into the fight round five, round six, round seven, round. And they were all my rounds. I was winning. Um, and um, you know, he even said, he even said to his best mate, he said he nearly had that. And I really? thought, I, I thought he had, yeah. And he, you know, I've met him a few times, Steve Collins. He said, "You ran me close." Well, that's you amazing. How, I mean, how good is that? You consider the fights that he had, and I mean, he he got he got in Chris Eubank's head, didn't he? As well, that was a famous thing. Yeah, well, he did. You know, when he was, he was very much like that, and he was, he tried that with me, and it didn't work. You know. Uh, the story behind the headphones. If when you if you watch the fight, I have headphones on. When my headphones go off, but I pretend they're still on. <laughs> so he's getting he's, he comes into the ring and charges towards me, and he's right in my face. But I'm pretending I'm listening to the music, and and it kind of I think it, it didn't. It, his way of like trying to get into my head didn't work. I yeah. didn't let it, I didn't what? let it happen. But if it would have been like I hope I've said this before, if it would have been maybe a year earlier, I wouldn't have been mentally strong enough. Yeah, it was just came at the right time, and there was a few things I should have did more in the fight. Maybe body punching because his head punches I couldn't hurt him to the head, but the body punches, you know, were hurting him, and I could hear him whining and, and the body punches. He didn't like it, <laughs> but he was very, very physically strong um, uh, in the fight, and you know I had to be wary of him because he could he could throw he, he had a good strong right hand left hook, so I had to be wary of that. But it was very close. Some people, some Irish people thought I won the fight. Wow. Said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Steve Collins fan. I thought you won. Yeah. What was the atmosphere like in Dublin then for that fight? Well, obviously, they were all, they were all straw for Steve. And all I could hear was Steve, oh, Steve, oh, Steve. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's part of the thing. You know, it was, in his, it was his homecoming. Yeah. The Eubank fight, that was his homecoming in Dublin. So it was a big fight. Um, big opportunity for me and you know I've got to thank Frank Warren for giving me the opportunity not that he wanted me to win really because he'd, he'd already signed the the, uh, the Nigel Ben there uh. after the fight I wasn't told there was a press conference I walked in a press conference I've just given the best fight of my life and Nigel Ben and Steve Collins were in the press conference no one asked me a question what does that what does that feel like do you feel a bit Used, yeah, boxing. Yeah, you are used. You are used as a boxer. Yeah. No you can't go into boxing. I think you're not, because you are. You're just, you're just a commodity. You know, you. Soon as you, um, soon as you lose a few fights, it's see ya, bye bye. Next. How, how much do you respect someone like Floyd Mayweather that has managed to negotiate himself? He became his own promoter, didn't he? he made a lot of money that way. Is that? Yeah, I mean, a, look, a move if you can do it. He, he, he can definitely fight. He's made. I mean, he's made a hell of a lot of money, and probably the richest, one of the richest boxers that come out of boxing. Um, don't really like his antics, like how he carries himself and how he kind of uh, portrays himself as like everything's about money. It's all about this showing off, and I just think that's not cool myself. Mm. I, you know, but but as a fighter, you can't knock him. In his day, he was one of the best. You know, what, what was your purse like for fighting Steve Collins? Was it life changing? No, it wasn't life changing, but it um it helped me a little bit, you know, it got me on the way. Yeah. You know, it, it definitely um it definitely helped me in a, in my career, yeah, for sure. Because that's the strange thing with boxing, isn't it? Is that it's not always fair to pay. Like some people seem to 
they have a name or whatever or a good TV deal, they get a lot of money and then someone else who's very talented, like British title fights, don't for, considering you're the best fighter in Britain potentially, that people don't often get paid a, a lot of money when you consider the camp that goes into it, paying trainers, paying cornermen and, and everything else and hotels, etc. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nowadays there's a hell of a lot more money in boxing. Yeah. I mean, just for instance, this... Um, uh, not Tyson Fury, what's it? Uh, Tommy Fury against Jake Paul. What, what do you make of that sort of re- well, rea- I mean, rea- reality TV it's, people fighting? It's, it's easy to say it's a joke, mm. but at the end of the day, they're both making good money, so you can't knock them. I mean, you know, I haven't seen um, uh, Tommy Fury fight, and no. I haven't seen the other fella fight. I won't watch it. So yeah. I'm not interested in it. I've seen him. I've seen that Jake Paul knock people out and just uh, like you, Joe. Yeah. Oh, what? Who's that? Yeah. What's he? Well, MMA, MMA fighters, isn't it? Typically, he's been fighting, yeah. Yeah, you know. Boxing, and, boxing them, yeah. And they're trying to make this fight to be a super fight. Come on, let's be realistic. I mean, Tommy Fury probably isn't even in the top 10 in Great Britain. Would you, is it good for boxing? People argue that anyone, like if you get YouTube fans who, who watch these fights, it might make them interested in boxing. Do you think that it works that way or does it kind of, Diminish boxing and the, and the skilled boxers who put years into it. Yeah, well, look at the some of the, some of the skilled fighters. I mean, do you know who the British champion is at middleweight in Great Britain? I don't. Currently, off the top of my head, no. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, how bad's that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know the heavyweight British champion? It was Daniel Dubois, wasn't it? But I don't know if it still is Daniel Dubois or not. Yeah, it's a good point. So yeah. you know, um, and you can go down the weights, welterweight, featherweight. Do you know them? No, you don't. And it's um, it that that is, I think, sad. Mm. The likes of, you know, no disrespect to Tommy Fury and to Jake Paul, they're making all that money, but their fights. I mean, you go through YouTube, they're on there. Yeah, they're, they've got good promoters promoting them, and they are fixating people in the mind so to watch it. Yeah, you think it's it's going to be a farce. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested whatsoever who wins that fight. But by the time the fight comes, we'll be that much put in our faces. You'll be, oh, I wonder who won that fight. Curious, yeah. You get your curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the British champion at middleweight? We don't know. Yeah, and that's the sad bit about it. Whereas years ago, we did know who the British champion was. In the 90s, because of terrestrial TV, uh, you know, we knew who the British champion was. Was that Obama Graham or was uh, Nigel Byrne? Or, you know, yeah. uh, and it was uh, the Great Britain, the Longsdale belt, was a fantastic belt to have, and it still is. It's one of the best belts to have, and I've got one myself. It's beautiful, yeah. you know. Yeah. What do you, what is what do you make of that now for modern boxers? Because you said there used to be a few channels where you could go on there and your face would be recognised, but now it's all about navigating social media with your fighters. Are you telling them to go on there and try and drum up some following online? Is that? But is that you haven't it's all about the sale, isn't it? It's all about yeah. the sales. Well, let let's put it in perspective. You, yeah, Chris Eubank Junior against yeah. Smith, right? That was a massive audience. Pay-per-view, they probably made a couple of million out of that fight each, probably. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah. So you've got the other fight now, Anthony Yard against Beachy BF. Can't yeah. say his name. Yeah? That's a better, well, they call him... Be- they're calling him... Um, yeah. I used to call it Baturbiev, but now it's better BF, they're saying. Yeah. Right. yeah. So that was a much bigger fight, a much better fight yeah. by far. But what yeah. got... My- was the Eubank and the Liam Smith compared to the if you compared the two fighters the, the audience watching the Liam Smith and Eubank fight would have been a lot bigger yeah. than the 
You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the sad bit about it. Now, if that fight would have been on, on, on terrestrial TV, like yeah. years ago, it would have been huge, especially the Virtue Beer fight. That was a great fight. What do you think of Anthony Yard? Do you think he can rebuild? Because he fought Kovalev for a world title as well. Do you think he's got yeah. the potential to, to come yeah. again? And... I was, you know, 32, I think. But 31, I think, yeah, yeah. You know, but he didn't, he, did, he didn't get into boxing until late, did he? No. So, I mean, he's got the moves. As the, He's a better boxer and he was in front. Yeah. And So, but, you know, Betty Beard is a strong puncher, heavy-handed, always dangerous. And especially late on, he can stop people in the first round and he can stop people in the 12th. So, you've got to be on guard with him all throughout the fight. And he just caught him with a few big punches and the fight was over. So when you've got the equaliser like that, he's a hard man to beat. But I'd love to see him box uh, Bivol. Yeah, Rush Dimitri Bivol, yeah. Yeah, I would love to see that fight. But I think they're going to, uh, from from Bivol's point of view, he's probably thinking he'll make more money boxing Canelo than he will uh, boxing uh, Betty Biev, you see. Yeah. So he probably box Canelo. All depends if it's going to be one, at 168. If it's 168, super middleweight. Is he going to? He's a big, light heavyweight, Bivol. So mm. how the hell is he going to make super middleweight? It's going to. He's going to have to chop a leg off. So, you know. Um, so I don't know. He's probably if they're going to give him twenty million to box Canelo, and he's only going to get two million to box uh, uh, Biev, It makes sense for him to box Canelo. Yeah. How much do you, how much do you respect Canelo for sliding up and down the weight divisions and, and doing, oh, mate, doing that? Fantastic, brilliant fighter. I mean, going to going to light heavyweight was awesome, and he went twelve rounds with a really good fighter. Yeah, I'd never heard of Bivol before before that fight, mm. and I, I just I, I I YouTubed him, and I was looking at some of his fights, and I thought I tipped Bivol to beat him. Mm. Everyone was going, no, Canelo wouldn't have taken this fight if he's not gonna he's not gonna lose this fight. <laughs> I said he'll he'll be he'll be like score him. Well, he yeah. might not get the decision. That was my answer. He outscored sure. him, but he won't get the decision. But because he won such a big margin, the judges couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They could not take that away from him. And good, they didn't. Um, but that's, I mean, that's super middleweight. I, I just don't know if he's going to be his force. You know, I'd rather, I think the, the best fight to make is the Betty Biev against them. But where would they put it? They're not going to put it in Russia. So that it, it would sell in England. Would yeah. it sell in America? I don't know. It's a sh it's a shame though, isn't it? It's it's the the fact that those guys don't have big followings, Bivol and Betterbeev, and possibly the best boxers of of their generation. That's a sort of a frustration sometimes in the sport, isn't it? That the best talented people don't always get the most attention. It's all about the sale, isn't it? Again, boxing is about promotions, about the sale. It's about promoting yourself, and they're both not really good at English. Mm. So that's another thing, but. You know, for the boxing fan, a proper boxing fan would love that fight. Would love it. it would. I'd yeah, love it. I'm a boxing fan. I'd love it. Better be Ebbs, 38 as well. That's incredible, isn't it? A longevity that you you get. Well, I, I remember when Better Beev came on came on the scene, and I thought, oh, this guy is because I'd never really seen him before. So I looked him up, and he boxed uh, Usyk. Oh yeah. In yeah. The 2015 or 16 World Championships as an amateur. Yeah. And Usyk was out boxing the first two rounds. And then he caught Usyk with a body punch, dropped him. Yeah, he's he tough. dropped Usyk. Yeah, so thought, no one else wow, does that. He lost. He lost. He lost on a split. So it was close. That was a world championship final. So you know, he, 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 I think he had over two hundred amateur fights. He was, you know, 
I mean, they're, t- they're doing much of though, don't they? They have a mm. lot of fights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, uh, Lomachenko, my favourite fighter. He's got loads of amateur fights behind him. Usyk, loads of amateur fights. So they, they fight every other week. You know, yeah. and that's, you know that, that's really important as well. I wanted to, I just looked up, I was looking down because I looked up um, those those fighters. I should have known them, but Felix Cash is the, the middleweight champion. And now Fabio Wardley, the guy from Suffolk, is the heavyweight British champion. And I, I mentioned Dubois. Dubois took the knee, didn't he, against Joe Joyce? And, and yes. then Joe Joyce held the British title, but now Fabio Wardley's got it. I guess Joyce has, has relinquished it because he's looking at world title fights. Well, there you are. I mean, I'm, I'm an ex-boxer. I don't know them boys. They read, yeah. read yeah. the name. And that's terrible because they're probably good fighters. Yes. You know? And, you know, uh, and they must be frustrated as well because I bet, I bet you with that middleweight would love to box Tommy Fury. He probably yeah. backed him. Yeah, you know, but he won't get the opportunity. Yeah, they're both. I think they're both from the traveling community as well, so they could probably sell that in a sense. You know, this connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's it's a strange old world. How was it after fighting Steve Collins? Was it a bit of a come down? Do you have to recover from that? What was that process like? Yeah, yeah. It was you know, I mean, I thought my career would go upwards. You yeah. Know, after that fight, I thought you know, doors will open for me. You're still young as well, weren't you? What, 27, 28? I was, I was in the prime, yeah. I was on my work. But for whatever reason, my face didn't fit. Oh, Frank Frank Warren had so many fighters. I mean, he promised me another world title again, the, the, the Italian boy, Nardello. Yeah. Uh, WBC. And I thought, yeah, great. And then Robbie Reed came in and nicked it. Uh, you know? okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was, shouting, I was shouting to box Robbie Reed. No, no, no. Because he was his boy. You know, Robbie Reed is a good fighter in his sense. He was a good fighter, no doubt about it. But, you know... And then Joe Calzaghe came on the scene as well, didn't he? Yeah. He beat Eubank for a world title around... Yeah, and then I, then, I went back, then I went back down the middleweight and I won a version of a world title, a WBF. It's not slightly regarded, I understand that. But it was a weigh-in. I was with a smaller promoter in Jonathan Feld because when I got beat off Dean Francis, uh, Frank Warren just chucked me in the bin. See you later, and I'm finished. And that's what happens in boxing. But it you know, did, it's funny for I people... Did, for people trying to access boxing, you say WBF isn't a prestigious title, but people looking at it are thinking, so what's the main, t- is it WBC, WBA, IBF, IBO? Well, you've, got, yeah. you've got all these names. Yeah, so I think for, for non-boxing fans, it's hard for them to understand what the... the yeah, I mean, I, 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 do, I do understand when there's that many belts, but it was a way in without yeah. going with the big boys. Yeah. As in, like, I'm talking about Frank Warrens, Eddie, Barry Ann then, and Mickey Duff, Pat, uh, Mike Barrett. They were the main promoters in Great Britain, and if you went with them, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get no shots. Yeah. You would just be, you know, left in the outside. They they have all the TV, like Mickey Duff had the BBC, Frank Warren at the time had the ITV, and then he had Sky, and then you know then at the end, I'm sorry, at the end, Barry End came in. Yeah. He went in the Sky, so you know that 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 was um, you know. And the, if you, but going back to the title, uh, we got the opportunity. We were supposed to box Simon Brown, the welterweight. He was a welterweight, and he, you know, you remember, if you remember Simon Brown, he's a good box, yeah. boxer, good puncher. And uh, so that fight was made five weeks before he feared his medical and an eye test. So he didn't box after that. That was him retired. So then I boxed a guy called um, uh, Steve the Viking Foster from Manchester, uh, and I won that fight on, on points. And then, um, and then I boxed a guy called Ding Gantabella, who was uh, the Rose of Soweto. And I just read his book, really interesting. 
um, you know, when he was a megastar in, in South Africa, one wow. of the first one of the first black superstars to come out of South Africa from the ghetto. Amazing you know, story, and yeah. yeah, it was an amazing story. It's a really interesting book called The Rose of Soweto. If you're interested in boxing, Rose of Soweto, book. yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And so what so you got the title WF title. What where did you go from there? Was it you wrapped up pretty quickly, did you? Is that it's a couple of years, yeah. 2000, 2001 was your last last fight? Yeah, it was, yeah. So it was I think it was two thousand I know nineteen ninety nine I won it. And then two thousand I defended it. Um against Ingan. It was in London. And uh, yeah, it was a Really good fight. Uh, won the fight on points, and it gave me a real hard fight. It was probably the only fight that I'd been in the ring with that I couldn't hit cleanly. Yeah, he in front of me, and I couldn't hit him. And um, reading his book, this is what he says. He said I could. I used to spar Sugar Boy Malinga, the guy who beat Nigel Ben, and bash him up. And he said Sugar Boy Malinga used to say to me, "You should be a middleweight. Yeah. You should be a middleweight." I'm like, you know, so. Um, he was a very talented fighter, and um, you know I got lots of respect for him. Absolutely. And when you retired, what was the thought? What to do next? How difficult was it to walk away? The identity of being a, a boxer. How difficult was that to walk away from? It's very hard, obviously. You know, because obviously you've been a professional fighter, um, and you know, you've, you've been programmed to go to the gym, train, work, and then all of a sudden, then you, you haven't made your millions. Mm. You know, you're not right, but you've made you haven't made no millions, and you kind of. Um, you kind of lost. And you're young as well. What were you sort of? I, I was 31. 30, 31, yeah. I turned professional when I was 18. And yeah. looking back on my career now, when I've now I've written, written my book, I say like you know, don't turn pro till at least 21, 22, and know the business. I turned professional. I didn't know the business. I didn't know what a journeyman was. I didn't know like you know how to. You've got to promote yourself. You've got to sell yourself. You know, yeah. I didn't know how to do that. I was just a fighter. You know, you had to learn that. Whereas, yeah. if you look at Nassim Hamid, yeah. he had he had he had Errol Bomber Graham, right? So he come from that gym. He come from that stuff. So yeah. he was brought up as an amateur, going around with Errol and watching him fight on British title fights and and all this. So he learned the business. So when he turned professional, he was already a showman. Yeah, and working out, work, yeah, the ring walk, everything counts, the way you look, the way you dress, the way you talk, that kind of stuff. But what, what about trash talking? You, you strike me as a bit of a respectful guy. Would you, I can't imagine you sort of tearing into people, but people say that's part of it. But is there a way to get attention without being too too kind of unpleasant with what you say about other people? Well, well, look, look. I mean, let's take, for instance, two different fights, right? Smith, I'm just talking recent fight, just have been. Smith and... Um, was his name? Eubank Jr. Eubank, yeah. They were slagging each other off, saying, oh, yeah, yeah. and it was all a big show. And that was more interesting than the actual fight. The fight was a bit boring. Yeah. Let's be honest. And, you know, it was. Well, Eubank Jr., can I ask you quickly about that? Because he's trained by Roy Jones Jr., isn't he? And people have said yeah. that the problem is Roy Jones Jr. had those reflexes you mentioned. He's trying to coach fighters in the same way and, and they're getting exposed because they haven't got the speed of, to get away from things. Is that what you saw with, with Eubank Jr. against Smith? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's another story with, with his weight because you remember when because he just made that fight with Conor Ben, yeah, a week before, and he, he went on the scales and made the weight. Do you remember? Do you remember him doing what, what, one, one five seven? Yeah, wasn't it? It was right. going down to, yeah. So he made so he made the weight, so he was messing about with his weight, supposedly. But is that all it was? One, I thought it was one five four. He made, made, made I, th 
I think it was supposed to be, it was a kind of like a, a catch weight they created because not because Chris Eubank Jr. has fought up at super middleweight, hasn't he? 12 yeah. stone, 168, and he, he fought George Groves and James DeGale at that, at that weight. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise that he got stopped, but I mean, do, doing that to your weight, go yo, what we call yo yo in your weight, going yeah. up and down, it's not good for yourself. It's not good. And um, he didn't look the same fighter to me. He's, a big, think, he's a big guy. Maybe. And I think, and I think he kind of, um, kind of burnt himself out because if you think he's trained, I'm not making excuses for the lad. I'm just saying he's trained for the Conor Ben fight. Yeah. Big disappointment. The fight doesn't happen, and then he has a couple of weeks off, and then he's back in the gym for this fight. Yeah, you see what I mean. And then it's another training regime, and instead of having a rest and maybe thinking, right, we've got to take stock and maybe fighting a bit later. I know it's hard to say afterwards, but he didn't look the same guy mm. to me. Difficult it's, having that 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 dad, is it as well? That father kind of in the background of your career. He's a big, yeah. big personality, Chris Eubank Sr. Yeah, I mean, I take me out of Christmas. I'm not a big lover of him again, but mm. I don't like the way he goes on about things. But uh, as a fighter, I respect him. I think he's uh, he's done really well, considering he's come from a middle-class yeah. middle area and, um, you know, um, and having a father. He didn't have to fight. His father probably didn't want him to fight. You know, uh, I don't know, but um, I know with my two boys, I didn't want them to fight really, but they got into it and then they kind of slid away from it. So I've never pushed them. It, Some fathers it, do push them though. Yeah, because the, the fighters from working class backgrounds have to do it for a living, but maybe the middle class guys don't. But what about all young men, even young women? Do you think it's important to maybe the best bits of boxing can be got from just doing a bit of training as a kid, just to learn how to look after yourself, how to get that discipline, that kind of structure. Absolutely. 100%. I think boxing is a great sport and that's why I train people. I train kids. I see kids come coming in timid, quiet, um, you know, uh, don't really want to do it only because mum has told them or dad's told them to do it. They might be getting bullied at school or might be just a bit too quiet, but they come to the boxing and they get into it and they get to know me and I get to know the, how, how to work them and how to talk to them because everyone's mm -hmm. different. Some people want to be a bit harder. Some people they want to be softer. And, you know, you, you, um, and I see them growing and they love it. And you would yeah. think, this boy's never going to do it. But I've got about three, two or three guys, I think, after a week, they're not going to stick it. And they keep coming. And yeah. they keep coming. His mum says, all he does is talk about boxing. Wow. And he's never going to be a boxer. No. Bless him. He doesn't want to be. You know, he's quite intelligent. He's going to be a scholar in school or whatever. But I think the boxing has really helped him. Yeah. As, as, and that's what it does. And if, it, you know, if it's taught in the right way and, um, uh, you know, like like good good teachers. I think I'm a good teacher. I've been in the game for a long time. And, um, you know, uh, you don't have to box if you just train. What's the, key to be, what's the key to being a good teacher? Is it having a good technical model or is it more about, as you say, getting known how to motivate a certain person to, to both work. things, both yeah. things for sure. You definitely know. You definitely tech, technique is really important. You, you get I have some fighters, some people come through the dawn. There's no way they're going to be a um, a boxer. But do you get they, do you get do you get hit in the head ever? Because we were doing some um, kung fu at, at university, and there was a kid there who was very keen, but he just wasn't very coordinated. And he kept, whoever held the bag for him got hit. In the head because yeah. he closed his eyes and started well, wailing. Yeah, I've had the pads like this, and someone yeah. hit me in the face. Yeah, <laughs> he, ran, he ran up the ring fast, man. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That. But no, um, no, I don't spar anymore. I mean, I'm 53 years old. I'm 54 next month, 
So, um, you know, I, I enjoy, I, I enjoy, I keep fit. Uh, I enjoy training and, um, yeah, so it's, it's a great sport. As I say, I'm not going to knock it. It's been good to me and I'm still yeah. making a living from it. Brilliant. That's brilliant to hear. And you, and you, do you stay in it ever since retiring or did you walk, did you go away from the sport and do anything else in between? Um, no, I mean, yeah, I've, I've done other jobs, um, but, um, yeah, I've done loads of other little jobs, you know, to get by. I was a chauffeur at one stage, chauffeur from people around in London. Seems like a different person now, but wow. yeah, I did, a, li- I did. a little limousine, is it? Yeah, yeah, I did all that. I had my own little business, and I was driving dignitaries and people around. And, and I remember talking to one guy, one of the guys in the car, and he said to me, "Why aren't you training people?" Yeah, and I was like, "There used to be a boxer, didn't you?" And <laughs> I said, "I used to be." He says, you should be training people. You you know, you've got so much to give, you know. And that was kind of a uh, just a, I was driving home at one o'clock in the morning thinking, yeah, he's got a point. And then I started. That, I was a, that was a sliding doors moment, just one conversation. It's interesting how those one conversa- conversations in our lives can, can change things, can't they? Yeah. And then he was gutted then. And when I, when I said, oh, I'm not working for you. <laughs> what? I said, you know what you said to me the other week? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a personal training course. You're joking me, you know. So brilliant! Oh, yeah. oh, mate, that, that's a that's a brilliant story. And what's the key yeah. for people who who can't exercise at all or don't want to exercise? Is it just starting walking? Where do they start? Just get them going. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, any any bit of exercise, you know, it all depends how bad you are, really. But I mean, you know, just try slowly, slowly do it, and just uh, and that's what I say to all my clients who come in through the door. It's just you know, depending how fit you are, out of one to ten, and you just do little exercises. If you sit in the chair and just put your leg out or bring your arm up and little bits of exercise does you good, I think, anyway. I mean, when they walk out, of it, especially when they do the boxing training, mm. they come out and they say, I'm buzzing for hours afterwards. Yeah, I've never yeah. done anything like this. You know, yeah. Have you ever done any boxing training? I've done a couple of sessions, yeah, but I wish I'd done more as a kid. I wish mm. I'd done more, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I lack confidence in my teenage years because I was relatively big at primary school, but I had an illness when I was around 10. And I, yes. grew, and I grew late. And I remember all the other kids grew quick and suddenly you feel a little less confident. I think it would have been good. I played a lot of football, a bit of rugby, but it would have been good to have, um, have done more boxing at that age, definitely. Just to give you a sense of um, yeah, confidence and, and like I say, the bit camaraderie, mentorship, yeah. I think, think would have been good. But I lived in a small town at the time, so there wasn't really a boxing gym around. So I didn't think about it. I watched boxing on TV, but I think it would have been, it would have been good. I mean, people, they used to, like boxing used to be in the schools and they should bring it back. Yeah, should bring back into the schools as long, you know, um, I think I think it'd be fantastic for kids. As long as they don't take it outside. They take no. it outside, they can't participate. Well, you don't, if, you, if you let it out, if you get it out of your system, often people don't want to do it outside, do they? Yeah, yeah. You, you see most fighters, they don't go around looking for trouble. No. You know, they can handle themselves. And just, you can see them when they walk into a building. He's a, he's a boxer or he's an MMA fighter. You can just, you know, they're respectful, generally. Yeah. Generally, you get the odd... I'd bang her, but you know, most of them are all right. You know, <laughs> like no, I think. No, how serious it can be. So, um, Cornelius, are you are you still called Cornelius now in Swansea? What are they calling you? Yeah, 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 Cornelius is the name. Yes, brilliant. And, and, what, and what about the book? Remind us the book. Where do we get? The yeah, book? I've got the book here. Look and see. Yeah, yeah. Can you see it? I can see it. Yeah, this is mainly going to be an audio. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. called Warrior and Wellington Boots. So you, um, wore, you used to wear wellies, did you? Yeah, when I was in, the, in, the, in the, when you go in, when you get the book, go out and buy it now. <laughs> when, when when you get it, you can get it on Amazon. It's called yeah. Warrior and Wellington Boots. 
and it basically tells you about when growing up. It was actually my girlfriend, uh, Jan Adkins, she's the author, and she's done a fantastic thing. We've, we're quite high up. We've got about over over 100 odd reviews now on Amazon. Awesome. And everyone gave me five stars, so I'm really pleased. And, um, yeah, if you do buy the book, please leave a review on Amazon. Well, I tell you what, to promote the podcast, send me a photo of yourself. could be when you're fighting or now, and send me a picture of the book as well, and we'll put it up on my social media, and we'll try and promote it there as well. Oh, thank you. I do appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's been really good. It's been, as I said, it took us uh, nearly three years to do from start to finish, and um, yeah, it was, it's it's quite raw. It's very open, um, and I don't hold back, and, um, and that's what people people were shocked mm. how um, open I was about my life and how I got where I got. Brilliant. Well, it's a fantastic story, Cornelius. I'm really glad that Lorian connected us as as well, and um, really appreciate your time today. And I, I'm very happy to find that you're you're still in love with the sport because a lot of former boxers feel a bit jaded and frustrated and it's great you're giving back now to young kids and helping them develop as well and and steering them through it so thank you for your time Cornelius one second there's also before you go there's a there's there's an audio you can get on the book as well now oh is Uh, that it's called Jan Jan Simerson Jan Simerson he's just done the next couple of weeks he's going to be an audio there's a lot of people now don't like reading no they're like Listening to in the car or They're something, like, yeah. In the, in the car. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be out in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eye out for that. Thank you very much. Cornelius Carb. Pleasure. Go Thank well. Thank you. All the best. Take care. What a powerful conversation with Cornelius Carr. And do please look up his book as well. I'll put a photo of it on my social media, Teddy Draper Sport on Instagram, at Draper Sport on Twitter and on LinkedIn and all that stuff. But yeah, really heartwarming conversation as well. Great that he's still ensconced in the sport of boxing, which gave him this platform for his life. He's very grateful for it and the people in it, the mentors. And it's big, isn't it? Good point there about should boxing be in school, particularly for young boys, give them that sense of confidence in their body, self-defense. I suppose that's relevant for, for young girls, of course, as well. Let me know what you think. Please rate the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you may be listening and or um, tell a friend that'd be good too but thank you for being here thank you to the sponsors bang olufsen of cheltenham and serene av remember cytoplan if you're looking to optimize your immunity association with the podcast they can offer you 30 percent off your first purchase 10 percent ongoing with the code draper 10r my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters numerals one zero and the capital letter r and Herring Shoes, if you look, want to check out their fantastic range at herringshoes.co.uk. Remember, listeners of the podcast get 10% off with the discount code TED10. My first name, part of it, T-E-D, TED10. And it's capital letters, T-E-D, all capital letters. They're the numbers, one, zero. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Have a great rest of the week. And goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.